recording. Now you're on speaker. Go. Ah, that's amazing. Hunter screwed up. Let's leave it at that. All right. And it's you're off the mic. Hello. Hello. Hi. Hello. Hello. Good morning. Good evening, rather. Yeah. Uh, it is now uh, 9.35 here. What time is it there? Do that some minus math. Th- that minus 3. 6.35. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Um, okay, so what's going on right now in your world, real quick? Oh, you know, I got some dinner plans later. I biked home what? from work. That was good. What? Watching any of the primary results come in? I am watching right now. Oh, shit. No, I just got back from work like a minute ago. Um, I mean, Well, Hillary's Trump won right. NY. Yeah, <laughs> by, by a lot. By a lot, enough that they announced it really early. So that means that... Oh, no. So he's pretty close delegate count, right? What do you mean? Never mind. I'm an idiot. Um, I was thinking, actually, of California, where California might have some relevance for once, the primaries, because if if he doesn't sweep, if he doesn't do really well in Cali, Trump, that is, then he won't have <laughs> enough delegates for it to be an uncontested um, primary, right? Right, 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 right. Yeah. Uh, it should be interesting, but I think this this uh, this win helps him a lot. Yeah, how's such Bernie a momentous doing? win. Bernie's not doing great right now, but it's early enough. It's early numbers still, so like only thirty two percent of the vote is in, and the uh, exit polls led them to believe it was going to be close enough that they're not calling it yet. But he's like still like twenty percent down. Could change by the end though. It's hard to tell because you don't know what districts have come in and what they were supposed to be. Right. Did you see that he got his biggest crowd supposedly ever um, in the campaign on uh, in Brooklyn, like a couple of days ago, maybe over the weekend? Yeah, yeah, I did. And then he had a really big one yes <clears throat> yep. yesterday oh. too, which I was supposed to go to, but I um, didn't Governor, go to. Governor's Island, right? Or no, where? Long Island City. That was the one Long with Island the TV City. on the radio. Oh, that up. they were. Oh shit, that's so funny. Yeah, I just saw it. I was going to the gym and watching watching my Rachel Maddow on the um, the, the the elliptical. I, I did an elliptical for the first time. <laughs> I felt like a mom, but it's way lower impact. It's kind of nice. Yeah, it is, it, and it, and it uh, works your lower abs if you do it really hard. I did it really hard. I got some maximum stride length, thirty six inches, dude. Yeah, no, I'm talking about like uh, higher settings in terms of the resistance. That's all I meant. Oh, why does it have two resistance? There's like one for resistance what? and one for like how what? steep, I Incline. guess? I don't know. Yeah, Incline. that's exactly what it is. I wonder if we're using the same machine. Anyway, um, so, uh, okay, are you doing anything special for uh, the dumb holiday tomorrow? Um, no, actually, though, it's funny. Um, my... My work is happens to be offering twenty minute massage slots in in office tomorrow, so I definitely signed up for one of those. I think it's at two o'clock. Pretty excited. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Unrelated, yeah. but still great. No, it was really funny too because in the uh, all hands meeting that we had, when uh, the the person announced it, she was like, "And we're gonna have massages. They'll be on four twenty." And <laughs> like, it was just kind of funny how, how she said it. Cause there was like a pregnant pause almost afterwards. And it's like, you didn't, you could have said April 20th. 
You didn't yeah. have to say 420. Or Hitler's birthday, again. No, I don't think that's appropriate. <laughs> We're getting massages, hey, they guys. did it on. They, they did it as a uh, subtle hint on Modern Family. I'm using it now. Right, I know, but in what context? We never really talked about this. What context did they say Hitler's birthday? Oh, it was just a piece of trivia that Cam brought up because he was like, something Jay was complaining about how Cam always just shouts random trivia at him because he doesn't know what to say. Or something, and Cam, Cam was like, uh, "Well, well, it's Hitler's birthday today." And then <laughs> I, I immediately thought, like, "Oh crap, is this gonna be like a four twenty episode?" And then there was, and then uh, Phil and Mitch took a gummy, and that was kind of what the whole episode was about. So, it's unofficial four twenty episode uh, on a show that is titled "Modern Family," airing on H on ABC, right? ABC. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it was a Pretty surprise easy. for me. Come a long way. No. Come a long anyway, way. Anyway, uh, yeah. so I'm just going to play mini golf, which would be fun, but that's just because it's a cool thing. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I like mini golf sometimes. Yeah. Yeah, it's great. All right, cool. Uh, <clears throat> all right, well, uh, we're just doing a quick intro here because I wanted to explain that uh, we're releasing like three episodes at once to make up for our lack of episodes the last couple months. Mm-hmm. Lots and lots. So... Hunker down. I hope it's raining where you are this weekend because you're in for a treat. Yeah, and uh, learn about weddings because we had a couple and we have a lot to say about them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we each had yeah. one. We didn't each have a couple. Only one per person here. We're still married. Well, so far, yeah. Well, yeah, only only two total are covered in the episodes. But there's like a before, kind of really before, I guess. I don't remember. And then after. Or after and after. Well, we kind of... Well, there's there's a before on this one, but there's kind of a before before that we already mm-hmm. did episode right. nine for those who heard it, mm-hmm. uh, and then there's gonna be Matt an Gita. after, and then a before and an after again. How nice. crazy is that? That's great. Oh yeah. man, it's funny. Um, All the actually, memories. One of my coworkers is getting married. He said next weekend, and I assume that means not this coming weekend, but next weekend, and. I was just thinking about, and I always come back to this, and I'm sure I talk about this on the other podcast, so real quick, I apologize, but it goes by so fucking quick, pardon my language, and also just like... I wonder how many good, times you actually did say that. I want to do a little count, maybe. <laughs> yeah, and he, he made a good point. He's like, yeah, he's like, yeah, there's 200 people that I would love to you know spend a day with, but I'm going to have a couple minutes with each person. And that's really, yeah. I think, where the whole it goes by too fast thing comes from. It's just that you, you have all these people in your life that you care about, but there's all of them there at one time. <laughs> I have to say, not only did you put that perfectly in the podcast and in this intro, uh, mm-hmm. but I have said that to everyone I know that's having a wedding and to people who I didn't get to spend enough time with at the wedding. Yeah. I've yeah. Qu- and I've quoted you every time, so. Oh, well, I guess. Congratulations. I well, no, I'm, and I'm really happy that this dude, Alex, already knows that ahead of time. I mean, it seems, I guess, intuitive, but I would never have thought of that until afterwards. But I also feel fortunate that, that, that I was able to spend time with you and a lot of really close friends, you know, the night before uh, the wedding. Yeah, that was awesome. And also, at, in, and also at your wedding, the night before your wedding, and that was great, too. I felt like, you know, in both of our cases, I definitely felt like to be in a privileged position of hanging out with, well... 
Yeah, whatever. But I'm, I'm blabbling now. But this is the yeah. this is the intro. Weddings and stuff for good friends. Yeah, you'll get some of this in the in the episodes. But there's a little summary here. So uh, enjoy this. Uh, enjoy love and uh, have a happy holidays, guys. Even if yeah. it is a dumb one. Yeah, it's kind of like um, beer week, you know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Alrighty. Well, um. I got nothing insightful to say, really, at all right now. It sucks. <laughs> then let's bring us into the episode. Here we are, Henry and Hops. All Harps. right. Cheers. Well, hey, hey, hey. This is Henry and Hops. We're returning with the coverage of the Peach Festival props. This is what it's going to be, straight off the tops. Here comes an episode. Deal with it. All right. I think we're good. The intro song, we're singing along, drinking beer and talking about politics. Uh, Henry and Hops, politics and beer, adventures and thoughts for your ear holes to hear. So let's have a brew, maybe just three or two, perchance discover new shit that we never knew. So come along. That's the end of our song. Yeah. Oh, that actually is the end of... That's it. We just talk culture and shit. Hey buddy, how you doing? Hey, I'm doing good. How are you? I'm great. It's Friday, October 2nd. Um, it is almost your birthday. It was already recently my birthday. Um, yeah, how does it feel? How, how old are you now? 28 years old. 28 years young. That, that, that's what I figured. So uh, how does it feel? Is it different than 27 at all? No, you know what's funny? For like the last probably two months before my birthday, I kind of already forgot that I was 27. I thought I was already 28. <laughs> so it feels more normal than it did... Two weeks ago, actually, which is funny. I I almost feel as if everything since 25 has just kind of blended together into, like, one continuous period of life. Yeah, I think... Like things become less defined, and I, I don't remember what age I am a lot. I know I'm, like, 27 or 28. I'm right. I'm going to be 28, actually, but I keep thinking about it that way. I think that 30 will will be different, but I don't... I mean, I'm not... Like, whatever. I don't... I'm not one of those people that's like, oh, no, 30, like... I'm getting older. I'm well, I actually think it might it might be like rejuvenating. I think about that like discussion in Waking Life where that woman said that like now that she's thirty two or whatever, she like felt like you know she had to do something or that her life had, like had a apex like a, a point where it was just gonna stop and everything was gonna solidify. But like as she's gotten older, she learns that that's never gonna happen and that it's just a continuous process of growth. So, yeah. Like, yeah, you're you're like, like, like this idea. Sorry. Yeah, no, so I'm just saying, like, once you hit 30, maybe it'll be, it won't feel like 30. You'll be like, oh, wow, I still have so much time. What am I doing? Yeah, exactly. It'll be like, wait, nothing has changed. I don't know why I was worried about this or anything. Yeah, it's kind of like when when the humanity goes through, like, these apocalypse scares. I always think, like, I... I I remember in uh, Gothic Romanesque architecture. This is getting really off topic, folks. I don't know if we're going to include this, but let's just pretend like we are. Um, so yeah, um, uh, so yeah. So I was in. I was in the class. We were learning about the apocalypse uh, that was going to happen from not, at you know at a thousand A.D. because they were convinced Jesus was going to come back. And so as a result, between like nine hundred and fifty A.D. and a thousand A.D., not a whole lot got done. People were really concerned. Yeah, because they're like, fuck it. Yeah, well, they just like went to church all the time, and they were really concerned about, you know, saving their souls before the 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 world ended. But nothing that they did, like, to to change society or or to change their lives, were really going to matter in the long run. 
And then when 1000 AD happened, you see this explosion in architecture and art and kind of the beginning of, you know, there was the dark ages after that where they lost things, but there was a period there where there, it's the beginning of the growth that would turn into the Renaissance at the beginning of like the Gothic period with like the building of Notre Dame and stuff like that leading up into that, you know? Because they were like, oh, wait. I yep. guess we were, we're, what we were waiting for didn't happen, so it's time to uh, get busy. Yeah, we have time we to like, save our souls still, so we should just build a bunch of really big churches. Like that, that would be, mm-hmm. That's what God really wanted. And that's, we have time, so let's do it. Yeah, that's why he gave us more time. <laughs> yeah, that's what, exactly. So, so I feel like that's whenever we have a chance. Like, like I feel like 2012 was kind of like that a little bit, where... Where people felt what was like, 2012? Yeah, yeah. Where people felt like the world, like some people, there was a genuine faction of the world that felt like something might happen, in one way or another. Right. And, uh, yeah, and yeah, when yeah, it didn't yeah, happen, yeah. people are still convinced it's going to happen. But it's like, it's like now a further. We can, we might be able to stop it. You know. <laughs> we have more time than we thought we did, probably. Yeah. yeah. Maybe. All right. Well. Um, anyhow. Back to the topic that we haven't gotten to yet. Um, I'm gonna have a beer, actually. Let's let's start there. Sounds good. I'm going to. I I'm bought s- cans because I'm going to a music festival um, right after this. Meeting up with our our good friend of the uh, Henry and Hobbs podcast, Gabriel uh, Burrito. Yeah, who I haven't seen in much too long. Probably won't see anytime soon. Sadly. Mm. Shout out to Gabe. Hey he Gabe. Was, he was hey, in the Gabe. city. See you soon. And we missed each other. <laughs> yeah, he's a he's a whirlwind. Um, it's, it sucks you can't come to the wedding. Sorry, Gabe. It's not my fault though. I invited you. It's um, great that we're airing all these like personal matters with Gabe on this podcast. I don't even know if he listens, but Gabe, this one's for you. <laughs> yeah, it'd be funny because if he does listen, this is probably not gonna come out for a while, and then it, <laughs> we'll get a text message like in a couple weeks. So it, it's actually. It, I love shouting out people because then if they actually do listen, they'll get mad at me and I'll know that they listen. So yeah, that's we'll see. Great. We'll see. I don't think he does, but um, <laughs> Matt Gouda does. What up, Matt Gouda? How you hanging? <laughs> it was his birthday yesterday. Oh, happy belated, birthday, happy belated Matt to Matt Gouda. Gouda. Yeah, yeah. He's hella hungover right now, so mm. this one's for you, bud. Yeah, definitely. Hope but he had a good barbecue. He, he had some uh, some good lamb stew today, so that's good. Um, anyhow, I'm drinking a, uh, a canned beverage from San Diego in the great state of California, St. Archer Brewery. Have you heard of it? No. Brewing company. No. They, they're relatively new, I think. I remember maybe three f- to five months ago, they were, uh, actually more than that now, there was a big, uh, kind of like ad campaign all around San Francisco with, with posters for this new beer company, and... It's a super decent 7% IPA in a can. I mean, yeah, it's good, you know? It's not the best in the world, but I'm going to uh, see some nice Hardly Strictly Bluegrass, and it's going to be a perfect companion for that. What's the uh, what's the price point on that? <clears throat> um, I actually got a six-pack for $9.99. Not bad. That's not too bad, good. yeah. I mean... It was either that pretty much or Union Jack by uh, Firestone Walker for like twelve or thirteen ninety nine. So oh, wow, yeah, that's a much better deal. Yeah. Anyhow, what are you drinking? Coffee? Just coffee. Um, but I wanted to mention on on that note, it mar- you reminded me that because uh, I was thinking like I wonder what that I was gonna compare it to Lagunitas, and then I was thinking like oh, but Lagunitas, 
Yeah. Speaking of, speaking of updates, if we just played the the podcast that was about updates on podcasts that we've done, we should mention quickly the Lagunitas, as you mentioned the other day, Hunter. You want to take over? Yes. Yeah. So I I can't believe how behind the curve I was on this. Um, and I guess you you too. Apparently this happened a couple weeks ago. Lagunitas uh got a fifty percent stake purchased in their company by. None other than the great Dutch brewery Heineken, which is kind of insane. Yeah. Right? I think it's insane. Well, but so it's... Go ahead. No, it's interesting because I, I don't think of Heineken as a big conglomerate, first of all. I mean, they're, hu- they're huge as, as a, uh, as a uh, international beer entity, but it's not like they like own a lot of other smaller breweries that I know of, at least. They're not like... true? I mean, no, no, I'm not saying it is true. I'm saying that's my perception of them. Like, they're, it's not like in, InBev or, like, something like that bought... Like, it's not like some larger beverage organization that owns Heineken bought them. It's Heineken bought into Lagunitas directly. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, but I'm now I'm curious is... Is that true? Is it actually... What do they own? I don't know. Well, that's that was the big question is like, do they have any power over the organization? My guess is that they were just investing in them in the long term portfolio so that they have some stake in the American market because they recognize that. I mean, I think when things like even Rolling Rock came out, like Heineken's uh, profit percentages went down in America. Now it must be like ridiculously low because who cares if you're going to Heineken used to be the more expensive option to things like Budweiser and stuff because there was no other options. Now that the craft beer movement is there, those people aren't buying that anymore. Okay, well, let me um, go ahead and talk to you about what other breweries they own. Yeah, let's do it. They own... Holy shit. Um, it looks like... Hold on a second. Through their affiliates and subsidiaries, they own... So they do Sorry, have affiliates. I'm, That's what I wanted to know. Yeah, they, they own Amsdale, Foster's, Tecate, uh, Bira, Moretti, Affelgem, the the Belgian. I don't know that one. Not in my uh, head, at like least. Relatively decently priced Belgian. They do like a double, a blonde, and a triple. I've probably uh, seen it. I'm just like not picturing the name. Amsdale. Right um, do do. And a lot of regional, like, their whole thing seems to be, like, super, like, relatively regional brands. Well, it's, it's interesting, yeah, every one of those brands is specific to a country, like, like even, like, Foster's, or yeah, Amstel, like, Cruz, like, Cruz Campo is the biggest beer company in Spain, they own that, apparently. Well, it's almost like when they were buying into Lagunitas, they weren't buying into a specific American craft beer, but, like, California, as an idea. <laughs> yeah, and the big, the big thing, apparently, is that... Oh, and Murphy's. We already talked about that. Murphy's. Irish no, but stuff. but that's even more so. Like that is when I think of Irish stouts. Like that's the one, <laughs> you know. Or like Aus- Australian Australian beer. I think of Foster's first. Like not that those those aren't the craft options, obviously, from those places. But like they're buying up regional, like names. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. That's what's so funny is it looks like their interests are all in like the the largest producers of beer in various countries. So, like, the Tecate of Mexico, the Stella, you know what I mean? Yeah, the, yeah. In South Africa, 
they have a South African. They, they own in Nigeria. They have a 54% stake in Nigerian breweries, which is the largest comp brewing company in Nigeria, et cetera, et cetera. <laughs> so what I was talking to my coworker about yesterday was the fact that it seems to be that the craft beer market in Europe, specifically for American craft be beers, is blowing the fuck up, actually. And I think one of the things that, that we do, you know, particularly well and different is West Coast IPAs. Yeah. So given that that is about half of Lagunitas' entire portfolio in terms of sales, from what I understand, it makes sense that they would buy Lagunitas. Um, makes complete sense. So I think that it's well, – the funny thing for me is that I kind of have this feeling of the owner, you know, the founder, Tony – yeah, Tony McGee or whatever his name is, like he is such a like a rabid craft beer like advocate and protector of his own brand. I don't know. I guess those two things are separate issues. But it seems funny that out of all the people, out of all the craft breweries, since he's so vocal about being craft, he's the one that does this. And what's funny is that by the definition put forth by the American Homebrewers Association, this move by definition makes him no longer a craft brewery. Yeah, well, I do wonder about that because you're you're exactly right. I was I was thinking the same thing, and I I don't know, I I wonder if they structured the contract in such a way that like maybe because maybe like Heineken bought it through a subsidiary, so they were able to keep it as such. I have no idea. I'm wondering. I well, I would be surprised if Lagunitas was willing to give up that status just to have a bigger stake in the European market, but I don't know. Well, they, I mean, they have given it up because the definition, which is really arbitrary, like it's just more of like a pride point, right? Put forth right. by the American Craft Brewers Association is no more than, t or 25% and over of a, of a third party stake that's a brewery, that's a, that's a non-craft brewery ownership, automatically means it's no longer craft. Yeah. So yeah, you're, you're right. Given that they, it's they gave it up. 50%. Yeah. yeah. They gave it up. So they did. And I mean, but maybe that. maybe but that's again, maybe that's him recognizing that the uh, the environment has changed because now craft beers are starting to, like they they are increasingly I'm seeing even large scale sports bars like have like a six point on draft or like something that you wouldn't have seen like five years ago, coming anywhere near those places are now. Oh yeah, totally, totally. So, I mean, you're right, like. Yeah, the, the Lagunitas is, it was funny, certainly out here, Lagunitas is kind of the the baseline craft beer that you will have on tap. It's it's the new uh, Sierra Nevada Pale, basically. Yeah, and well, <laughs> it gets back to our lawsuit, doesn't it? Like, all goes back. <laughs> well, yeah, I think those are the two like most ubiquitous West Coast uh, breweries right now, I would say. I mean, But wasn't be, Sierra you know, Nevada, besides... like, like when, when I think about it, Sierra Nevada kind of came up first and then Lagunitas did it better. As far as yeah, I'm, I'm yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, dude, that's a matter of opinion. I would, I would agree with that opinion. But I mean, the thing about the thing about Sierra Nevada Pale Ale is that it was, it is the quintessential uh, craft beer awakening beer. That it's, I think, by far and away, out of everything I've read by like people in the industry and aficionados, etc., people that like good beer, that is the most oft quoted awakening beer. Yeah, and. I think Lagunitas IPA is might be the new the new one, and part of that is just like you said, they're both very available. They're widely available, so you might be at a bar and be like, I don't really want a Guinness. What what else is there here or whatever? I don't want a Heineken. <laughs> I don't want a Heineken. 
You know what's funny is when you brought that up about the European markets, is I hadn't even thought about Europeans getting into American craft beer. Like it just hadn't right, occurred I know. to me. Not because I know, that's funny, but, but you're right. But it's interesting because when I go to even like a a really good like a good craft beer store that also has a lot of international, like has a big international selection, even if the price points were one to one. Besides, like, the Belgians, there's a lot of competition. Like, I wouldn't say there is a lot of American ales, like a lot of barley wines and stuff. That doesn't really get made as much, as far as I can tell, in Europe. And uh, and so I think... As far as what? Sorry. Well, the the experimentation that's going on in American craft brew right now is beyond even some of the stuff that Europe's doing outside of, outside of, like I said, some Belgian breweries that are... Oh, yeah, totally. Well, we have no... We have no traditions that are potentially holding us back, like the whatever German purity law, right? Like that's still part of their heritage, even if they don't really listen to it. Not that that's particularly limiting, right? Just no adjuncts or flavor, flavor uh, ingredients. No, but you're right, and I wonder. I wonder if that will become the new standard. Like it's been, it's been a joke for the last like fifty, sixty years that Americans drink piss beer, and I wonder if the new standard will be like Americans with their crazy craft beer, you know? (laughs) Yeah. Well, that's what's funny is we've gone from being the joke to like then being the joke because we do it so much more extreme, <laughs> you know? Yeah, but it, uh, like, it's they interesting. Can't just, like when we talk about, uh, you know, sectors of American innovation and things that we've actually done well in in global markets for the last like 20 years, I would say beer is one of the few things we can be like, that was a success story in America. We've, we've done better. Beer and internet, baby. Yeah, that's true. Beer and internet are the only two things, the only two local industries we have left. And, I mean, that's that's a bold oh. statement that's not true. And maybe marijuana <laughs> coming up. Well, that's true. Marijuana's coming up. And also, I was going to say, there is definitely a resurgence of, like, local craftsmen from yeah. everything from, like, furniture to clothing, pencil sharpening. et cetera. Yeah, pencil. Yeah, like artisanal <laughs> pencils made from... Recycled uh, rainforest trees. Yeah. Oh, I just, oh, it's okay. Okay, so that basically covers the Lagunita stuff. We got to get to the Peach yeah. Festival at the end of this. So just real quick before, because the only other thing I could think of that was a big update besides, we do we should mention that they, this did happen after the Oregon shooting yesterday. So I guess that's a big thing for our gun control episode. I don't really have a lot to say about that right now. Just go back and listen to the gun control episode. I think we covered it. I'm, dude, I'm... <sighs> I'm so I'm so angry. I'm beyond fucking angry at this point. It's it's just like fuck it, dude. What the fuck are we fucking doing? Party my language. I'm just well, I, I don't actually, even have anything new to say. Every no, time I'm just like, yep. Not well, surprising. What's, inter- what's interesting to me is that the, I've been talking to a lot of like uh Republicans about this recently, and about half the Republicans yeah. that I seem to talk to are pretty for gun control at this point. Uh, they, yeah. that's like the one policy that they're like, well, actually I disagree with most of my base on this one. Um, of, of all the policies that I talked to them about, that's the one they most frequently disagree about. And I wonder if we took like a national popular vote on it, how strong the gun population would actually be at this point. Or if it's just like I agree. a vocal I agree. minority. That's, yeah. That's, I read a really good interview or a really good article this morning actually about, it was written from the perspective of this Australian. I didn't finish it, to be honest with you. But <laughs> written from the perspective of this Australian who is a, is a sport gun enthusiast who is an absolute advocate of Australian strict gun laws. And you can still have a handgun. And they're still, you're still allowed to basically like go to be a, be a member of a gun club. But you can only have a handgun if you are a member of a gun club and you go through these like super, super, super strict 
restrictions. You could only own a semi-automatic weapon if you are a primary landholder in a rural area that can prove a need to control feral wildlife. Right. And, uh, and automatic weapons are absolutely banned utterly and completely. And he was, he was talking, he was talking about his first bus trip up the Eastern coast of the United States and how he was kind of nervous because, you know, the South and, uh, he gets sit down next to this like good old boy in his own words, a kind of, you know, missing a couple teeth, smelled like bourbon, like a cliche of a redneck kind of thing. And they started talking about gun laws and the difference between American gun laws and this. And he's told, he was telling him about Australian gun laws and how it all changed. And I think it was 2001 after that horrible massacre of like 35 people, including children, um, which really precipitated all this change. And the guy was, this guy he was talking to in the article was like, yeah, you know, like I really, I wish that we had that in America. And this is, you know, like a, presumably very conservative person. I wish we had an America, but we're too far gone. And, and then he's like, you see, like the guy that is going to rob me at my house has a Colt 45. So I need a Colt 45. Like if the guy who's going to, is going to come at me, whatever on the street or something has a semi-automatic, I need to have at least a semi-automatic to combat him. So I think really a lot of the reluctant support for gun laws kind of comes from this, you can never get rid of them. It's all—it's an intractable problem. So, given that criminals have guns, I need a gun. You're well, never going to get guns away from criminals. I, End of story, right? Yeah. Well, it's interesting because the the most successful argument I've heard for that is anti-gun laws, and the one that I I I can't entirely disagree with is that any kind of program like that, like when we we deal with drug le- legislation, for example, prohibition doesn't work. And right, I kind of I kind of understand where they're coming from. To a certain degree, but I think guns are, are, are a different situation because of the way that they're manufactured. It's much harder to manufacture a, a gun in, in privacy than it is. And maybe maybe meth is the only thing I could think of that was like a drug that would be created that's that hard to like create in, in quiet circumstances. Although with, with 3D printers, I don't know. Maybe that's the future is the fact that well, we, we can't Well, that's not that. a bad point. It's not a bad point at all. Um, yeah, that's a good one. But so... What, what Australia did is they had a amnesty buyback program. So illegal, legal guns, doesn't matter, no questions asked, sold back to the government at market rate. So if you're sitting on a bunch of illegal guns, you want to get, you know, you'll, you'll get paid out for them. And maybe what we have to do is offer like a really sick price point. But I think that use the market to the advantage in this case and just make it so it's not financially viable to keep your guns given the price that's getting paid for them by the government. Yeah. Yeah. At least, at least for semi-automatics and above. I think, I, I think we're going to, as far as like the hunting lobby, there's really no point in dealing with that kind of stuff. I, I just don't think it's, it's as big of a deal. Most of these, like the, the mass shootings we're dealing with are like either semi-automatics and then just making licensing more complicated to, to make it, harder for people who have mental illnesses to obtain licenses, especially after they've exhibited violent behavior. Because when you look at like shooting statistics, even like, even if you look at the, the most generous ones, it, mass shootings are not the large proportion of the homicides that happen with guns. It's a lot of like it's domestic true. cases of, especially yeah, totally. like of domestic abuse cases. And, totally. and it's easy to, to say like after there's been a couple cases of domestic abuse in a situation that that, that those people should be barred from from obtaining weaponry and uh dude one case yeah no i agree i'm just saying like that's 
that it seems even more obvious with with repeated offenders and that's that's kind of the thing that we don't really talk about we forget about when we talk about like mass shootings like this is that this is like a a thing that doesn't just happen on on large scale it happens small scale every day totally totally no i agree completely all right well we i think we got to cut this topic short for right now right no i there's yeah and then we got to get peach but one last thing did you uh pope was in philadelphia in new york yeah and stuff saw that uh i didn't see him but uh he was here he said some good things about the environment and then he met with kim davis and liberals and conservatives alike have turned on him for different reasons so it's yeah, kind of an unsuccessful you know trip on his part but also you know successful funny, though, dude, about that yeah go ahead um i just saw something about how um oh, where is it i was just online i saw this apparently the Vatican is now distance it's distancing itself to uh, from from that. They're like, no, he doesn't support them. Vatican. Well, probably because they didn't. They I don't I don't know if they knew knew what it that. meant when they when they participated in it. You know, I it's a hard thing. I I wondered what Kim Davis looked like internationally at that moment. I was thinking um, like how that scandal plays out, and maybe there's here you go. Sorry, this is what this is what he says. He says, the Pope, quote, not the Pope, but um, the um, Vatican says, quote, that their encounter should, quote, not, should not be considered a form of support of her position, unquote. And in a new twist, the Vatican revealed that the, quote, only real audience Francis had in Washington was with a former student and his family who later identified himself as Yayo Grassi, an openly gay Argentine who met the Pope with his longtime partner and some friends. Interesting. interesting yeah it's an interesting position to take it's 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 part of their like we're it's it's part of their like tolerance play because i feel like they they're never going to at least not within the next like 10 20 years going to say that homosexuality isn't a sin but they're going to they're going to say that like they will accept it as a sin that other people are allowed to commit because of like social freedoms um, exactly and like it's not in the church is like gonna tr- not try to change them, but like love them, and even in under the auspice of them still being sinners. Yeah, love it's almost sinner. it's almost like an evangelical loving a Jew. It's the same sort of thing where they could they think they're going to go to hell if they don't fix themselves, but they'll uh, they'll accept them societal. <laughs> no, but it's like, but just just don't let the towel heads uh, take over the Holy Land because we need to go there <laughs> before the revelations. Oh man, so that's much, why, dude. So it's because they're just right they're now. just occupying. The brown people land that is that is like needed in Christianity also. Yeah. Well, I just want to say about the Pope's visit. The Pope says a lot of great things, but if if he was really serious about any of this stuff, or if the Vatican, I mean, was really serious about a lot of this stuff, they have the money. They could do so much for the world. Like they don't they don't really care that much. This is this is mostly a. That's really thing. interesting, actually. You mean using like the Vatican as a uh, as a, a pro. A, proactive vatican in a sense that they would actually spend money on these topics yeah like they make, have make some investments got well they're basically like i know that they had outreach programs in africa where they're like sending people to talk about not using condoms and stuff why not spend some of that money on you know some of these issues the pope's talking about like poor people and environment yeah yeah or sell some of that it, damn art they have hidden away in the Vatican Vatican catacombs. 
Oh least. man! All right, moving on, moving on, moving on. Oh, oh, oh! Wait, right. oh, last thing about the Pope. Uh, if you didn't hear, the Pope is releasing a prog rock album. Go listen to his debut single because it is awesome in a sort of weird way. You're joking? No, I'm not joking. It's a real thing. The Pope is releasing a prog rock album. I started to refer to him as Pope Claudio halfway through. If nobody knows, that's a Coe Camber reference. Um, and it's basically. Okay. I started to refer to him as Pope Claudio halfway through his visit when they when they announced that. That's a because Coed in Cambria lead singer Claudio uh, Sanchez. Anyway. Yeah, 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 yeah. Anyway, wake but, up, go, go forward. He he. Uh, the the album is basically this prog rock band uh, performing like a a continuous prog rock song, and then every once in a while they're like sampling Pope Fran uh, Pope yeah Pope Francis speeches. It's really interesting. Um, the thing is that it's not <laughs> terrible. It's just weirdly, it's a weird like novelty. And I don't know why the church felt like the, the prog rock way was the right way to go. And having the Pope be the person on the album. <laughs> <laughs> what the fuck? It's like they might as well have done like a reggae album. Yeah. I think, I think whatever we do with the rest of this podcast, we should play ourselves out with the Pope song. <laughs> yeah, please, please. All right. Editors put this in the end. Done. Yeah. All right. Wake All up. Right. Go, go forward. Yep. That's the one. It's great. That's great. Wow. I Like, when you said that, I was like, haha, that's funny. Moving that's, on. Yeah. It's, it's not, I thought it was a joke. Like, I had to, like, double and triple Snopes check that one before I listened to it. Wow. Oh, I would have listened to it first. That's funny. We all like to share things. Our thoughts. Our dreams. Occasionally, a delicious blueberry scone with a good friend. But it's really hard to find a large bovine without your friend's help. That's why we at oddabull.com have come through. You're walking down the street. All of a sudden, out of nowhere, you see a large horned male cow. You really want to tell everyone especially those that like to encounter bulls in their everyday life. Unfortunately, there has never been a platform in which to share such important information. Until now. From the people that brought you Bearspace and Ramps.com, Audible.com is a crowd-sourced, live, happenstance bull mapping program. Create an account, log on, Tag on the map where and when you saw that unexpected cow and let others delight in your experience as well. We love you. We love bulls. Audible.com. Sign up now using the code Henry and Hops on our website, audible.com, for 10% off your first bull happenstance experience oddable.com odd-a-b-u-l-l dot c-o-m alright um, um, right. peach festival peach, right? so we went, we went to peach festival guys it was awesome yeah and we're, we made it we're live still obviously yeah well I was surprised that we were able to get everyone together I just want to say like it was like a crazy crazy few days and my phone almost died 
before we got it. Like, my phone died probably 30 minutes after we finally met up with the last couple people of our crew on Saturday. And, uh, oh, and you didn't charge it for the rest of the time? Well, I had nowhere. I had my, my, I'd used my backup battery to get that far. And at that point, it yeah, was just gone. Yeah, my phone died, I think, the next day, but yeah. So I just kept, like, I would run into people. Like, I remember with you on the last day, we would just, like, we ran into each other a couple times. Thankfully, on the way out. And those was nice. It was small enough that you could kind of do that, yeah. That yeah. was cool. Yeah, especially if you, like, knew what music acts people were going to be at, and you had seen them earlier in the day, so you knew what they looked like. If you didn't know what they were wearing, it was impossible. Yeah, so I think... The one thing I definitely want to talk about, which just because I thought it was funny at the time, was, I mean, I think we both kind of had a, a a realization of sorts about how we're not twenty one at Bonnaroo anymore. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Right? For sure. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I just, and I, it's sorry. And I had that realization right at twenty one at Bonnaroo when I was there in like two thousand seven. That's why I didn't go back in two thousand eight. You know, like that's, yeah. Same here. Actually, yeah. Totally. That's, totally, totally. that's kind of why I was like, I need to, if I come back to this thing, I got to do it in an RV or I got to, I just, I, if, or, or I got to like go to like, I, since then I've done a lot of like one day festivals, like we did made in right. America or like governor's ball where I, where I'll go to a thing, but I'll come back and sleep at my apartment, like and eat real yeah. food. <laughs> yeah. Do all, do all Maybe be a little things. hungover the next day, but it's fine. Yeah, yeah. Like, dude, I'm going to get home from this music festival at like 730. It's going to be awesome. <laughs> yeah, the camp, the camping out thing where you don't sleep for like more than like two to three hours a night, and uh, you're just constantly like messed up in the campsite. Yeah. And it's hot. Yeah, and it's that hot. Was, it was oh so my God, hot. It was so hot. Yeah, yeah. That's well, it was nice and cool at night at least, and we had like a good spot, except that we weren't in any shade whatsoever. It was kind of beautiful in a weird way. Yeah, like it was so. It was, audience, it was on a. Uh, kind of a ski hill i mean not kind of but a ski hill and we looked over it's kind of valley it was pretty cool but yeah, I'll, um, I'll post a picture online i have a, i have a picture of it beautiful I mean, but that was what i was going to say though is that on that whole like this is not really you know our scene so to speak anymore um it was funny because it was very much other people's scene that were there and when we were a little messed up we kept <laughs> One meme or trope that I kept coming back to was things you don't say at like a hippie music festival. Well, specifically one that's like, this is Almond Brothers based, but there was mostly like Grateful Dead based acts, and and anytime and Greg Allman. yeah, and anytime like the Grateful Dead or like or like jam band culture is around, there are things that we just can't talk about about jam band culture, like and all that does all that. All that does is make me want to talk about it more. Yeah, definitely. And especially when the dead, like, when when people like uh, Bob Weir are playing and you're like, wow, I get where this, why this was great when it happened, but now it's like, <laughs> just like, oh, I'd rather be listening to the original recordings. Hey, it's Henry and Hobbs. Hey, it's podcast. to a song that we think might come from Bad Fish. Sometimes. Yeah, and what's hard is that, like, <laughs> no offense, but I think I mean, Bob Weir, you're a great musician, concert. and we love you. I'm I, that's I'm. Yeah, but I, you know, what's funny. I remember Bonnaroo '06, and it was like Bob Weir was the guy that he was like the budget Phil Lesh, right? Like Phil Lesh and Friends was definitely the preferred, I think, Grateful Dead member band. They were like the most prestigious, quote unquote. Um, 
And then you're like, oh yeah, and Bob Weir and Rat Dog is playing. I think that's fine. But now, fast forward, what, you know, eight, eight years. Eight years? Yeah, eight years. And it's like, he's the shit because Phil S doesn't really tour anymore. And Bill Crooksman's got his own fucking band, right? Like, yeah, at Billy that point, I was like, oh man, like this is... Well, what's We've weird, kind of too, is that Billy and the Kids the were, were almost as good as, like, the Bob Weir and Billy and the Kids. Maybe because the line they, lineups they chose of, like, what sets they played, but I felt like it was almost the same thing. Yeah, I felt like it was exactly the same thing. <laughs> it, was it was like, oh, you the difference play. when they changed over the bands. That's all. <laughs> yeah, you're like, wait, oh, wait, is, I guess that's Bob Weir up there now? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you can yeah, sometimes so, hear, like, a longer guitar solo. That was the only real difference I could tell. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So the bottom line is the best one that I thought was, hey, you know Jerry's dead. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's the thing you can't talk about because like, it's never gonna be the same again, you guys. Jerry's dead. We should move on. Like that's what we yeah, kept saying. But <laughs> and that's why I was impressed with Lotus because Lotus yeah. is like, wait, we're a bunch of we've talked about this too, but we're a bunch of stupid, stupidly impressive musicians who can pretty much play anything, and there is like. There's totally a void in the nouveau jam band scene because, yeah, Bob Weir is now a headliner. Like that's where we, that's where we're at. No offense. Yeah, well, because well, I mean, in the '90s, well, who they have like Fish and uh, Dave Matthews, and Fish have kind of like sputtered out and become like a Grateful Dead Part Two that's not quite as good. Where they like they only go on reunion tours. They don't really put out much new material, and everyone's kind of right. decided they were like not as good as. Well, maybe they, 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 some people are either convinced that they are, like, the best band ever or, like, just, like, a mediocre jam band. Somewhere in between. Right. Uh, and right, then, like, right, right. Dave Matthews' band was the other prominent 90s one, and they've definitely fallen out of prominence with the jam band community altogether. Like, they yeah, have... Yeah, some people still like DMB, though. It's surprising. Yeah, oh, yeah, but it's more like a, it's, I feel like it's more like frat boy culture and music now than it is, uh, it is, like, jam yeah. band culture. Yeah, that's true. That's very true. But um, what other things did we learn from the the, the, the concert? Um, well, I will say... Well, it's I will fun say to hang out with friends. Bob Weir and, and Keller Williams' set was pretty good. And that Bob Weir... I've, what I learned is the Grateful Dead music can be great if given a different setting. And, like, I think one of the reasons that Phil Lesh... When I saw Phil Lesh and Friends that I enjoyed that so much was because of the interpretation of the other musicians who aren't dead musicians, who can add more to mm -hmm. it. I think, I think mm -hmm. the problem with, like revamping seeing the dead it's kind of like if i went to see zeppelin like i have this dream of like maybe zeppelin will you know the remaining members of zeppelin will reunite again besides that like motherboard concert they did in uh london and i'd be able to see them but mm -hmm. maybe i, I wouldn't concert, but, yeah. but yeah that was like five years ago and i was but i was like maybe i wouldn't really want to go see them now like maybe maybe what i'd really want to see is like like people like Jack White and a bunch of other people performing with Led Zeppelin and doing like duet versions of, of what they did, you know? Yeah, yeah, no, I, I agree. Um, speaking of, actually, there's this amazing album that came out last year and somehow I missed it, but um, it's called, the, the group, quote-unquote, is called The New Basement Tapes, and Tebow and Burnett put together this epic fucking group of people featuring the likes of... Jim James from My Morning Jacket and the lead singer from the Carolina Chocolate Drops and the lead singer from Dawes and other people. Excuse me. Um, because he got 
He got his hands on a bunch of unrecorded Dylan songs. Oh. And they got together in the studio and just fucking... Oh, and Marcus Mumford, too. Which is actually one of some of my favorite songs on this album are, are by the Mumford dude, which is kind of surprising given my ambivalence towards the music generally. Yeah. But um, anyhow, it's kind of one of these, exactly what you're saying. It's almost cooler than Dylan himself, because Dylan's like really, really, really old. <laughs> yeah. But and... Yeah, I still want to see Dylan live. Yeah, I would love to see, and I would love to see, we were talking about it during the thing, Dylan and maybe like some sort of revamping of the band. Like, Oh, God, yeah. Get that together. Why have we not seen that tour? (laughs) But who's going to be there? It's like uh, Robbie Robertson only, right? Well, yeah, but I I just mean like like you could get together a band, like much like they did, I mean it might even be just a one-time thing, but like they did with uh, when they tried to like, they had... That sort of Beatles thing with Nirvana. Do you know what I'm talking about? No. No. There was a thing... Oh, God. I think it was like two or three years ago with uh, with Paul McCartney and Dave Grohl. Remember this? No, actually. Cool. Whatever. I'll put it up. They wrote a song together. And it sounds like as if the Beatles were like writing a song in like 95 that was like... It was like they had advanced with music, you know, proportionally. It's kind of awesome. Yeah, it was good. It was very good. Yeah, and it's it's like, it, it kind of made me think, like, I wish there were more, I just wish there were more collaborations. I wish, like, older musicians in general were, like, were involved in more collaborations with younger musicians. But it does ha- it's starting to happen a lot more often. Like, there's that concert going on last night that was, like, Ed Sheeran and D'Angelo doing... Um, God, I can't remember the guy's name right now. Bill, what's his face? He's the guy who did uh, "Lean on Me," and uh, "Ain't No Sunshine," mm-hmm. and like yeah, 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 yeah. Bill Withers, yeah. So yeah, I think like I think those opportunities exist, and I think that's the way that we should we should be playing festivals if we're going to be using like not that Paul Mc, Paul McCartney can still play sets, Bob Dylan can still play sets, all these people can still do these things, but. Like, the real highlight is seeing them play with younger musicians, the people they inspired, and, and seeing how those in, how they interact on that old material, I think. Yeah, totally, totally. Um, I think we got to cut this short. I got to get going. No, I think, that, I think that's a good place to go. And, uh, and have fun at your festival today, and I hope, it's, I hope it's as big of a success as Peach was for us. Yeah, I'm seeing the Felice brothers. The only reason is they start at 210, and I got to fucking... No, that's I fine. Know, I, I just want to give a final shout-out to somebody who's definitely not going to listen to this, but Drunk Billy, if you're out there, uh, you, <laughs> I don't. we didn't always get along, uh, especially when it came to football, as it turned out, but you know what? When Wherever you are, if, you're, if your book is really out there, please send it to me. I'd love to read it. That's all I want to say. Isn't it like a zine? I, don't, I, I have no idea, but it's the, it sounds great. Yeah, we got to get his book. Also, I think that I want to give a quick shout-out to, uh, as always, Killer Mike and Barty Sanders. He's doing great right now. He's scaring oh, Hillary. Yeah. He's scaring the pants off of Hillary. Hell yeah. And, and also Killer Mike as Taquil in, uh, in Frisky Dingo, which I just realized. So everyone go watch Frisky yeah, Dingo. Yeah, that's pretty, that's pretty great. That's pretty <laughs> great. Yeah, Frisky Dingo. Check it out. Good show. All right. We should have a list that. of Henry and Hop's picks for music and, and media. That's actually a really good idea. That's like a great thing to put up on the blog. Let's do that because I have like a whole yeah. thing. We can just we can edit it together. Yeah. The, All right, keep, man. Stay tuned. H and H picks. We'll leave you with uh, the Pope Francis's amazing prog rock track. <laughs>
wake up, <laughs> go, go. Go, wake up, wake, go, go forward. <laughs> All right. All right. Bye. Wake, wake up. up. Wake, wake up. up. This Lord speaks of a responsibility which the Lord gives you. It is the duty to be vigilant, not to allow the pressures, the temptations, and the sins of the ourselves or others to dull our sensibility to the beauty of holiness, to the joy of the gospel. Today, Responsorial Psalm invites us constantly to be glad and sing for each other. No one who sleeps can sing, dance, or rejoice. It's no good when I see a gym people who sleep. No, wake up. Go, go, go ahead. Dear young people, God, our God, has blessed us. From him we have received mercy. Assured of God's love, go out to the world, so that by mercy shown to you, they, your friends, co-workers, neighbors, countrymen, everyone of this great continent may now receive the mercy of God. It is by His mercy that we are saved. Asian youth, wake up! better beer. Don't try to be a better human being. Okay. Hey, watch the wolf suit.